Donnet Rocks episode 720 with guests Tess Fernandez, Luca Minyadel, and Henrik Anderson. Recorded live Thursday, November 10th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. This show is all about people doing cool software projects. We spoke with three forward-thinking developers at Ordev in November, including Tess Fernandez, who talks about her work with the Microsoft Connect SDK. Also, the gesture-matching software that I mention in this show is now available at gesturepack, that's P-A-K, dot com. Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They've got over 180 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, many of whom are guests on .NET Rocks. With 8 to 10 new courses every month, you have access to the entire training library after a free 10-day, 200-minute trial starting at just 29 per month. Recently, they released a course entitled Advanced Windows Debugging that covers low-level debugging in Windows using tools like AdPlus, NTSD, and CDB. Pluralsight.com. Okay, now let's get to the good stuff. Hey, it's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell back here at Ordev doing .NET Rocks Live. Any of you guys out there listen to .NET Rocks? Yay! Yay! All kinds of hands. What's wrong with <laughs> raising your hands on a radio show? Make some noise. <laughs> .NET Rocks? Yay! All right, a few yays. Good. Well, anyway, we're here with Tess Ferrandes. Hi, Tess. Hi, how are you? Good. It's always a pleasure to be here. And always a pleasure to talk to you. Last time, last time I talked to you, I think it was a DNR TV, and you were deep into the debugging. Yeah. But you changed jobs. Yeah, I did. That's crazy. Yeah. How how will we live without your debugging abilities? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm an inspiration ninja. An inspiration ninja. Yeah. I love it. What That's a great awesome. title! And you got the best shirt, the <laughs> app yours shirt, and, and download, download mine on the back. Yeah, <laughs> app yours, download mine. What so, are you working on? I am um, I'm an evangelist mm -hmm. for Windows Phone okay. and for Connect and for HTML5 and anything else that's cool. Wow, you're busy And now. new operating systems next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can think of a new operating system for next year. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. Um, there's so many questions, so little time. I guess let's... Let's dive into Connect because yeah. this is where I've been doing some work, and I know you are too. And Richard, I sort heard of told you've been you, doing some really cool stuff. I I am. I just figured out how to write code for the Connect, and it's not that I didn't know. I just didn't really look into it all that much because I figured the SDK was kind of difficult. But I did this DNR TV with Dr. Neil, mm -hmm. and he was basically showed how you can just access all the XYZ data for all the joints, the twenty joints that are tracked in real time, and he was doing some. You know, some real-time math and analysis, looking at deltas between, you know, the head and the hand to see where things were. And I thought, wow, gesture programming's complex. I mm -hmm. mean, you, how do you, how do I find out if I've made a circle? He says, well, yeah, that's a difficult problem. And I said, well, isn't there some kind of gesture recorder? 
out there, you know, that you could just say, here, watch me do this, and then when I do it, tell me I've done it. He said, no, but that would be cool. So I wrote that. I heard. Yeah. That's so exciting. So I wondered if the, if the Microsoft Research SDK people are doing that, and should I just not um, bother? No, I think you should bother. And, I, and so the thing with gestures, and, and as you said, like programming for the Kinect is actually yeah. not hard. Right. The hard part is recognizing gestures, and right. more, more hard is recognizing intent. So, for example, yeah. if someone swipes like this, yeah. do they swipe or do they go and scratch their head? Right, yeah, yeah. How do you know? And the thing about, like, so a gesture library would be awesome for different gestures, but right. in reality, when you're doing something for the Kinect, it's good for UI parts to do gestures. Yeah. But for, for actual game playing or for if you're not building a game but something else, mm -hmm. the, the gestures are very different based on what you're doing. And so right. there isn't like any one way to do things. Right. Yeah. And it, it seems to me, depending on the gesture, there are different things that you want to track and different things you want to ignore. Mm -hmm. You know, you may want to only track the hand. And only in an X and Y, or maybe just X. You yeah. may not want to care about the Z. Did you watch the, uh, so Channel 9 had like this great talk with Arturo Toledo, where they talked about designing for the body. Like it's a video up on the Channel 9 that talks about like how they did it for the Xbox and how they figured out how, how to swipe through a list and figure out if they, like, do people do it differently, or do yeah. people do it the same? Right. They video film, video filmed like people for hours and hours and hours and hours yeah. to figure out like that. What are the common elements of yeah, a swipe? Exactly. That works across all swipes. Right. Because like one of the difficult pieces is like if you look at a mouse and you say, okay, so everyone think of right click on the mouse. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, everyone knows a right click on the mouse. Right. But if someone says, okay, now everyone think of wave. Like you'll see yeah. this, or you'll see this, right. yeah. or you'll see back and this. forth, side to side, yeah. up and down. Yeah. So it's very difficult to and to figure out like a common, like a common element of a gesture. Right, right. right. So we definitely need to build up those libraries. Well, mm. and I wonder how the <coughs> Xbox does it. It seems like there's an awful lot of smarts in the Xbox are doing that because now that you're working in the PC perspective, you're seeing how little the device knows yeah. that it's actually up to the software to do a lot of that mm -hmm. work. Somebody Definitely. told me that the Xbox did pattern matching with basic images of okay. those scattered uh, dots, if you will, the, the dot image. Do you know for what I'm gestures? talking about? For gestures? Yeah, for gestures. Um, I don't think so necessarily. For yeah, now that I've been working <laughs> with it, it sounds, it sounds like a lot of work. No, I, I think it's more finding out like what is common for right. a wave. And if you if you notice on the Kinect or or on the Xbox, like this won't work. Yeah. Like, and they actually made a big effort into well, showing in the UI. She's using her hands and twisting it back and forth like the Queen's. Yeah, exactly. The wave. Queen's wave. The Queen's it's wave. Not, wave. A not working. Because yeah, you the Xbox or the Kinect can't see fingers. No. Right? You can see a wrist mm -hmm. and the movement of the wrist. So there is a limit to the sort of its resolution. Exactly. It's uh, like the, the best resolution is like hand. Yeah. Yes. Right. So if you're doing a wave, I would just imagine that you want to just track the hand mm -hmm. and just track it in X, really. 
Exactly. And you say, like, okay, so first it has to go left of the elbow, and then right of the elbow, right. and then left again. Right. But if you look In at a the, certain amount of time. Yeah, and if you look at the Xbox and the user interface, they actually show you how to do a wave. Right. Right. <coughs> yeah. They... I, and humans are great at mimicking. So yeah. uh, an avatar comes up on the TV in the Xbox and does a motion to, so that you will learn that motion. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think when people try to implement gestures, they should do that same thing. Mm -hmm. Like in their applications, show the person how to do this. Right. So they don't don't they, just write well. Well, if you had a recorder, they could record their own gestures yeah, and map them to that's actions. That's what you've been doing, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and suddenly your software is even more important. I'm right. going to do a gesture, and then I'm going to record you doing that gesture. Yep. And now I actually have you. That's right. Not just a generic gesture. Yeah. So then, and then you would do that, and you would say, okay, so I want to map this to, right. like, click. Yeah, Precisely. this event, whatever that may be. Yeah. Well, I've, I've decided to just release this code, and mm -hmm. maybe, you know, as beta code, not into the public domain or not as open source, but just to release it as beta code. And if, if something, because the... The Connect SDK is beta as well. I don't know what Microsoft's plans are to either put it out there free or sell it or whatever. So I'm just going to keep my options open by putting out as beta. But essentially, let me just tell you how it works. Um, you start recording, and then there's a little application that uses the speech synthesizer, so you or the speech recognition. So you basically get into... Uh, all right, let me back up. A gesture, in my mind, is a series of poses or body positions... Mm -hmm that are then recognized back-to-back -back in a certain amount of time. So if I'm doing a wave, my first pose is my hand in one position. My second pose is in the, the past-the-elbow position. And then my third pose is back, right? So I'm going to pose, and I'm going to say record pose, and it records that. Then I move again, record that pose, but I actually say record pose, and it tells me that it's recorded it. And then I go into some UI and I tweak the booleans. And the booleans are to track the X, track the Y, track the Z, and to, for each joint, whether to track the joint itself. And so then I capture all the data, but when I go to look and to match it, I'm only matching against those things that I'm tracking. So this would be something that a developer would use kind of to pre-record gestures, yep, right? That's right. A developer but what you're talking about is maybe even more, like that the actual consumer would use it and say, okay, so what do you want to use for pause? Well, well absolutely. And, and that's, this is what I was thinking of as well. You know, you could put those constraints in. If it's a wave gesture, you could still not track the Z-axis to get more accuracy mm -hmm. and only track the hand or the right hand or the left hand. You could say wave your right hand however you're going to do it, then you've tracked their gesture. But how do you control it if you record something and then my husband comes in and wants to yeah. use this? So what happens is um, the, the it scales itself to your spine. So the distance between where your spine is and where your hand is, is relative. So yeah, first but he would have you, to know. He would have to know how you recorded. The that's gesture. right. He would have to know how you recorded it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's but a you bit could of, move. What I'm saying is, you yeah. can move around and adjust that fudge factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I do think you know. To your point, there was a compelling part of the learning process, which initially is just this is what I mean by a wave. Uh, by you know the application saying this is what I mean by a wave. 
the opportunity for now you do it, and then I can also capture that. Yeah. And now know I know exactly what your way. Well, looks and every like. user of the software has a different profile, perhaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With a different thing. Now, so there is first off, there is like recognizing the intent. Then there is a separate thing about air gestures that's a bit different to into like mouse gestures or anything yeah. else, and that is when that waving yeah. gets tedious. Yeah, yeah. it's like not a good gesture. No. Well, well, right. any gesture gets tedious if you have to do them a lot. A lot, right. right. So you have to be kind of frugal Less with what you... it's an exercise program. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and that's, that's another point that if you, if you look at, like, for example, UI pieces, like moving through a menu or whatever, yeah. that should be easy for the user. Right. Yeah. It should be in, like, it should err on the, on the side of letting you, letting you get away with things. Right. Yeah, very yeah, yeah. simple a gesture. Whereas, like, a, a game, it's okay if it's difficult. That's right. just part of the game. Right, right. But also, like, the whole thing about fatigue. Yeah. You get very tired very soon. If you've ever played, like, Connect Ninja. Yeah. Yeah, it'll like wipe you out. <laughs> ten minutes in your day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. So, what if, uh, what, what can you tell us about what to expect from Microsoft in the connect SDK space. Do you know anything about that? or um, Nothing that I could talk about right, All right. now. Right. But I there, mean, there's, there's, there's been some recent press stuff where they've been talking yeah. about non-game related things. Exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm in a lot of projects that are non-game related. I'm yeah. in a lot of very interesting projects that are non-game related, mostly in the medical space. Oh, wow. Like, so I'll tell you about, like, a few classes of projects that are kind of, like, inspired, because oh, I'm going to talk about them also on stage. First off, there is, like, if you think about a store, and you want to may you want to do some commotion for the store, so you want people to stand outside and, and, like, kind of, like, people be wondering, oh, why are these people at this store? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can use the Connect through a storefront, mm. which is... Super cool. That's really cool. So it's, it's just looking at what people are doing at the store. Mm-hmm. Or, well, you can, like, put the Connect in the storefront and have people, like, play a game in the storefront. Oh, I right. see. For example. You can't yeah. do that outside because of sun, like, so the right. IR sensor. Lighting conditions still matter for yeah. Connect. But in an indoor um, in shopping center. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so that's something very cool. And, and what, you, what you notice very quickly is that as soon as you put up, like, is the skeleton tracker... Yeah. People stay and yeah. play with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be special. It's right. like, oh, it moves and it shows me. And it shows me moving. Yeah, it's a reflection yeah. of you. Yeah. So you can get away with very little, like as far as like yeah, yeah. doing something. But so storefronts, that's like a place where you couldn't use any other device. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with like lobbies in hotels. If you don't want them to touch your hardware. Yeah. Put it away behind glass. Well, this is, I think this is a really interesting point about this. That the, the problem with touch is you touch things. Mm-hmm. And gesture <laughs> seems to be the bigger metaphor for that. You can do all the chest gestures without actually having to touch things, especially yeah. in a public space. I think it's one of Tim Huckabee's lines. Like, look, if you put a kiosk in an airport, the last thing anybody wants to do is actually touch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. in an airport. But gesture is fine. Yeah. So that's one thing. And the other thing is... Um, with, for example, like with the medical space. Mm-hmm. So there is this thing called the Toronto Project. That is which? Toronto Project. Okay. Uh, which is like think of an operating room where they're operating on people. Yeah. Obviously, they can't touch anything. You don't want to touch anything. Yeah. So there, you can use the Connect. Oh yeah. Instead of having like a special nurse that goes through X-rays and whatever. Yeah. 
like no touching, and you can still achieve the same thing. What a great so idea! It. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. The or, conditions where you can't touch things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think about like a mechanic. Um, do you call it mechanic? Yeah, car mechanic. Yeah, yeah. oily They're all fingers covered with grease. Yeah. yeah, and you've all seen like the the plastic things they have on their keyboard that get all greasy. And how you about know, just you, the, you know? How about just being at home? And wanting to, you know, check your email while you're eating a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know? that's a difficult problem, really. <laughs> so, totally. Like, all of those places. And, like, mm. if you think about them, there are more and more yeah. and more where you don't want to touch things. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, for example, for medical uh, research, where normally they would, like, let's say you have a condition where you're scratching yourself a lot. Or you're doing, like, you have certain things that you're doing right where and they want to do a research to see does this ointment work or right. not like normally what do you have to do now is go in and in a research study people will have to write down how often they do certain things right, like right. did it help did it not put a connect in front of them and yeah. it records like right. the whole well and it, because and self-recording is just not as reliable mm-hmm. right people underestimate overestimate all the time exactly. so just to have the empirical data of this is exactly how many times you scratched mm-hmm. you know a couple of a couple of years ago we did a show with Tim Huckabee at Connections before Connect had even come out mm-hmm. and he was talking about this uh, using this in place of visiting nurses and right. you know to gather data wouldn't it be great if you could gather different kinds of... There's yeah. so much data you can gather visually about their behaviors and stuff. So, so listen to this. Like, let's say you're in a nursing home and you don't want to have people actually watching a video of, like, the people in the nursing home because that's right. truly invasive, like, yeah. to yeah. the person, right? It's a privacy invasion. Mm-hmm. Recording a skeleton? Yeah. Yeah. It's Far okay. less invasive. Yeah. 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 And it could still trigger the same thing as, like, an alarm if a person falls down on right. the floor. Yeah. Or whatever, but there is no video recording. And actually, things like this go well with the medical industry in the sense like they are approving things like this more readily than they would have like a camera. Hey, let's talk to the TSA so I don't have to have them take naked pictures of me when I go to the nice. <laughs> I'm just trying to fly here. Yeah. So that's fantastic, Tess. Um, well, uh, we'll be talking more about uh, this project. That and I'm we'll provide a it. link to your blog because I know you're writing about it. Absolutely. Yeah, except for I'm not writing too much about not it. Not as much days. as you'd like, but I'm sure there'll be more. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks again, Tess. Thank you. Tess Ferrandes. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. 
Hey, it's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell doing .NET Rocks Live at the end of the hall, and we're here with Luca Minidel uh, talking about racing. Yes. Hey, how are you? Fine, thanks. What are you talking about here at the Ordev? I talk about software development in Formula One, and mm. it's uh, quite exciting. I bet. Yeah, and uh, it's exciting and challenging. You have to solve very interesting problems in Formula One. Very quickly, too, I'm sure. Yeah, almost yeah. every week or two, you're expected to deliver some feature or some improvement that can help your team to perform better. Yeah, is the software role largely instrumenting the car, understanding exactly what happens to the car during the race? Yeah, that's uh, one of the parts of the software. There is software that runs inside the car, mm -hmm. software that runs on the garage and on the pit wall, where software race engineers and the driver uh, look at the telemetry to make decisions yeah. to push the car to the limit without breaking it. Mm. And I, I understand F1 cars, literally, you can change their tuning while it's being driven. Yeah, there are many things that you can change inside the electronic central unit mm -hmm. to change the behavior of the car. The electronic central unit controls the engine, the gearbox of, uh, of the car, mm -hmm. and you can make changes. What is not permitted now is that uh, uh, from the pit wall, you cannot, with a computer, change the behavior of the car. I see. But you can tell the driver, and then the driver can uh, turn some switch. It all has to be done by the driver, but the computer can advise the driver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The computer and the, also the race engineer that look at the telemetry and uh, mm. make a decision. And so what sort of things are we talking about here? Making the car go faster, uh, changing downforce? Like, uh, how far can you go change the behavior of the car? Yeah, a uh, lot of things. Because every track, every circuit is different mm -hmm. and the condition change over time. Mm. So... It's really like setting up a server. Really? There are a lot of parameters that you need to change. And you try to change. You look how the car behaves. Mm. And then you try to understand what I need to change in order to make it go faster. Yeah. And sometimes some part of the car doesn't work well. Mm -hmm. Maybe you feel uh, you see that it's near to break. Yeah. And so you can do something to uh, be sure that the car will reach at the end of the race. And it's more important to finish than it is necessarily to finish first? Well, sometimes it is because there are a lot of points. Mm -hmm. So if you break the car, uh, you lose points. And if you break the engine, then the next race, uh, you will start behind the grid. Sure. Right. So it's worthwhile to not, it's not worth wrecking the car to get a higher position than it is to no. actually get to the end of the race. No, those are the constraints. You have to. Uh, have a reliable car and at the same time to have the car that go faster yeah. and those are the two constraints that you work uh, with does do you work on software outside the car in terms of um when we talked to the john uh rauschenberger, rauschenberger. about uh the Indy car stuff they were doing measuring um the performance and the laps around the car and then uh doing some things in the in the pit uh, with tablet pcs so that they could be looking at the performance of the car from outside. Yeah, you have uh, hundreds of sensors that measure sensors. everything inside uh, the car. And so you can really see how the driver is driving the car, when yeah. he switches the gear, when he pushes the brake, when he pushes the gas. So is there a Wi-Fi connection between the car and the person in the pit? 
There is a radio connection, radio. so the electronic center unit inside the car transmits information via yeah. radio to the pit wall. And then it also stores information inside the car because uh, yeah. uh, at the end of the race, uh, you can connect with the cable mm. and have uh, uh, all the telemetry with a higher telemetry. resolution. Mm -hmm. Right. And the and I think part of the challenge here is I mean, F1 tracks are all over the world, so you can't count on any infrastructure in any given track, right? Are you bringing everything yourself? Yeah, that's what makes things really exciting. Because <laughs> yeah. there are a network, an external system that you find only on the track. Right. So you take all the stuff with you, computer, telecommunication, and network equipment, and mm. you assemble everything in just a few hours. Mm. And you have uh, this complex system up and running in just a few hours. And, now, you, are you, working and you run it for the few days of the race, and that's it. Yeah, the race weekend... Uh, that's it's a three or four days. You arrive a Thursday, you start to uh, assemble everything, and then you work uh, Friday on the free practice, Saturday on the qualification, Sunday on the race, and then you go on. And hopefully you have a great party because you won. Yeah. <laughs> now, is your customer Formula One or is it a driver of Formula One? Like, do you just work for one driver? In that case, there are many different departments inside the Formula One team that take care of different parts of the car. So your customer are the different department. But it's not as easy like that because uh, some software application uh, is used by many departments and some problem need knowledge from many different departments. So you're, you work for Formula One? Exactly. You work, work for a the, race team? Yeah, why do you work for a, a driver's team? Uh, a Formula One team. Uh, yeah. But, a, but we're, up, we're, what I'm trying to understand. We aren't allowed to name the teams. No, but he does work for one team. One particular yes. team, which may have several drivers okay. on Okay. That's what I was... And I, and I think the way we're allowed to describe it is you work for a top team. Yeah, I work for one of the leading uh, Formula One team. Got it. All right. And this is where most of the software development goes on because mm -hmm. they want to develop uh, all the software application by their own for the race strategy, for the production of the car, for the lifing on every single part. It's unique to that team. Yes, uh, because every team uh, develops uh, their own way of working, uh, mm -hmm. their style, and they, where they approach uh, problems. Mm -hmm. Very good. Can you talk about what technologies you use for programming? Are you working in .NET or you know, C++? What's your preferred programming environment? Yeah, there are different kind of uh, technology. Mm -hmm. uh, Microsoft is one of them. Uh, .NET mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the code base uh, is a long-lived code base. So there are C++ uh, uh, applications, mm -hmm. some old Visual Basic application, mm -hmm. and there are also some other system in uh, Linux. So but, it's a complete mixture. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say that in the top uh, team, uh, uh, Microsoft have a big role. Okay. okay. That's fair. That's very exciting. Yeah. You know, the .NET doesn't usually get so... Uh, so it's usually so not that, quite that cool. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> um, during 2008, uh, if I remember well, uh, Microsoft made a partnership with McLaren Electronic System to yeah. develop uh, the standard electronic central unit and also to develop uh, uh, the software application mm -hmm. that analyzes and stores the data. Mm -hmm. So at yeah. that time, Microsoft uh, was uh, involved. With, uh, and, and I think you sort of bring into this idea that racing is all about developing new technologies for cars to make them more reliable and go faster yeah. and how that technology trickles down to regular automobiles. Do you see software moving that way as well? 
Yeah, uh, ideas that uh, come up in a Formula One car, mm-hmm. time to time, uh, are reused mm-hmm. in a sport car mm-hmm. and in commercial yeah. car. Sure. Uh, big team have uh, uh, developed their Formula One car and they also produce real car. And that's the same with the software. Uh, software started many years ago, 10 and more years ago in a Formula One car, much before the the commercial vehicle, mm-hmm. but it's doing so well that, uh, yes. You start course. to see the value of bringing more sophisticated software to regular consumer vehicles. Yeah, uh, think about the electronic central unit. Probably there is a lot of software already yeah, inside your sure. car. In the, oh, yeah. uh, well, and I know I'd unit. like more telemetry for my car, especially when my daughters borrow them. I just wish that cars would come with a USB port so we could just put Plug something in. in there and start yeah. reading data. I love it. Yeah, that would be great. Luca, thank you very much. Thank you. And continued success. Goodbye. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Grape City. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Boss comes and says, sales are up this week. I'm taking everybody out to lunch. Awesome. Next day, we're taking a loss. What happened? Well, you're a developer. You can create a report. So you go to your boss and say, okay, what should I report on? And they have no idea. Well, here's the good news. Active analysis from Grape City Power Tools empowers your boss, the money guys, so they can find the answers to their own questions. And the best part is, it's a control. Completely self-contained BI. Using a drag-and-drop interface, users can easily discover trends in the data. And more importantly, the deviations from those trends through its powerful graphical analysis capabilities. Development against the control is easy. All you have to do is provide the data. Active analysis will take care of the aggregation, grouping, filtering, and sorting for the user. Of course, it offers programmatic control of all these operations, too. So if you want more company lunches, do your boss a favor. Use active analysis. For a free evaluation, please go to gcpowertools.com slash analysis and don't forget to thank grape city for being a great sponsor of dotnet rocks hey this is carl frank and richard campbell at the end of the hall doing dotnet rocks live we're talking to henrik anderson is that right yeah that's well, trying to pronounce it correctly that is okay henrik you uh were in uh tess ferrandez's connect sdk talk and sitting next to me in the front row and Told me about this remarkable device that your company has produced. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, we can track where the user looks, so it's it's called an eye tracker and uh, eye tracking device. Device, yeah. So it's essentially you could just look at something on the screen and activate it somehow. Yeah, it's like uh, it's, uh, it's like the mouse. We can react it as you would put your mouse over something, or if you looked over something, it's the same thing programmatically. So so in your WPF application, you'd get an event handler that tells you where the user looked? Yeah. Or yeah. would you actually get the, get con- in the in the control itself, would you get an event? Like if I looked at a text box, yeah. would I get an event handler in that control with an extension method? That extension. So you can put it on any control, any WPF uh, control. Okay. A framework element, actually. I think it's... That's great. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. How are you doing that? Yeah. How do you track an eye uh, or two? Uh, yeah. I, I'm a developer. I use the SDK. So, I just... For me, it's just... Uh, it's magic. Uh, yeah, a little bit. But it's a 
cameras, two cameras, okay, and infrared light, okay, uh, and, and we look at the reflections of the light. So it's like you're, it's like it's looking at the reflections off the back of someone's eye because that's a very distinctive color. Uh, yeah, so they could actually track the position of the eye. There is some training involved too, right? Uh, we need to, every everybody is we we can't tell. We have to make sure where the user wants to look the first time. So we have to calibrate it, like mm -hmm. look at this dot, and then we know, okay, it's offset by two centimeters in yeah. the left corner. Yeah. And do you, is it literally looking at the position of the eyes, or is oh. what happens if I move my head? Yeah, it works. Uh, you can move your head, and we have, a, I don't know the f exact figures, but we have a pretty accurate uh, position, like the mm -hmm. connect, but much more accurate in where in space the eyes are. It's like millimeters, wow. I think. Wow. And it, that's got to be a pretty high-resolution camera to be able to see that level of detail. I don't know the details of the camera, but yeah, I think it's uh, pre pretty expensive cameras yeah. right now. Because you're figuring on a laptop, I mean, you're two to three feet away from that, and it's tracking something that's half an inch across? Well, I was, just, I was just using it, and uh, it worked best when I was about a foot and a half away. Closer. Yeah, right. closer is better, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, there's an optimum distance, and we can tune the trackers to... We have what we call long-range trackers, but it's yeah. like a long range is like maybe extra foot. But yeah, yeah, yeah. A, okay. So we, we have some uh, status meters that we can say, okay, this is good. I didn't show you that. But no. Yeah, foot, two foot, two feet. So well, this is obviously in the development stage, but you have a .NET SDK. Well, that's great. Yeah. Um, the listeners are now saying, okay, where do I get one? Yeah, uh, you could buy one from us, but it's still uh, it's not, it's a little bit too expensive right now just to try it out. But we we would love people to try it. So if you have a good idea, you want to try it out, you can borrow an eye tracker from us. And I think I actually think it would be on consumer market soon. Yeah. I, like not only from us, maybe from just using a web camera and but eye tracking is going to be a part of UI. I think. Okay. So what I heard you say, and and I want to clarify for yeah. the listeners is that if you're listening to this show and you think you have a good idea for a piece of software to write where you can utilize eye tracking in a unique way, in a useful way, yeah. then contact you, and we'll put your contact information on the website. Yeah. And you will send a .NET developer a loan? A loan? I don't know how that will work, but I'll, 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 I'll do my best to get them an eye tracker. If, uh, yeah. yeah. If you like the idea, obviously. Oh, yeah, sure. The idea's yeah. got to be a good yeah, idea. Yeah. And, and, it, and if you said it was too expensive for a consumer, but if, but if some, you know, somebody's got some extra money burning a hole in their pocket and they want to buy one anyway, what is, yeah. what's it going to cost? No them? problem at all. Uh, it'd be, uh, maybe, I don't know the exact price, maybe $5,000, something yeah, $5, like that. $5,000. Yeah. And that's just a tracker that will go on any computer. Yeah, that's a USB, that's a USB yeah. tracker, yeah. So what kinds of interesting, I mean, the, the the demo that I did there was neat. You had three text boxes, and where I looked, whichever one I looked at, that got focused. Yeah. So I can imagine that's really good for a data entry person who doesn't have to, you know, hit tab or whatever, can just continuously, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, we, we don't really know the yeah. where to use it in a good way. But we have now for people with disabilities. You can, yeah. I mean, if you can't move your arms or something, you can only use your eyes, you can right. have a keyboard or something you can control with your eyes and also you do analysis of a website you can see people looking at ads and stuff like that well that's that's an interesting definitely an interesting angle on it to put it in front of your put your software in front of somebody and then track their eye movements and see where their eyes go yeah 
you t tell them to print, and they everybody looks in the right corner. Oh, we should put, probably put the print button in the right corner. Right. Something. Yeah. Well, and, it, and you imagine you'll see things like folks who spend a long time with computers are trained differently on what to look for than people are not trained as well. Yeah. So you get you. It's almost like you could use that in day-to-day -day utilization of an app. You know how an app asks you, are you a beginner or an expert? Yeah. Well, if we had this, oh. the app would know whether you're a beginner or expert by how you interact with the application. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. You could have like an interface that changes yeah, looks on how where the user looks. Yeah, looking like at that. how you're look, searching for things in the app would give, give me a clue of how to shape the app for you. Yeah. Serious analysis involved in that, but it's doable, of yeah. course, but yeah. So, well, well, one thing I noticed in the in the demo that you showed me is the text boxes were really large. Yeah, There's, do they uh, have to be? We, we can maybe we can hit like a centimeter, square centimeter, something like that. But the eye is not like a mouse, so it yeah. moves around a little bit. Uh, it's hard to. Okay. I mean, the technique may, might be accurate enough, but. The, well, it's really going to be tough on the hunt and peck typer, right? Yeah. Each time they look down at the keyboard, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a problem. It's a, yeah. I mean, it's a, you don't realize how much you use your eyes. I would, I would argue the software, you know, once you start tracking and showing people where they're looking, yeah, uh, they become very self-conscious of where they're looking oh, as yeah. well. well it's know, a, it, now I don't it, want you to turn that on if there's pretty girls on the picture. I don't uh, want you to do that. Oh, well, that actually happened once. I, I mean, I, was, I, I use eye tracker every day, so I, I, mm -hmm. do, um, uh, I program prototypes for eye, eye tracking. So yeah. it's... In, and I was surfing, and it was some girl picture. <laughs> no, not so, but it was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then, and I just like, the other tracker picked it up directly. So right. It's yeah. not really on purpose. I know, right where your eyes were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So, so it seems to me then that um, this had probably less use in manipulating existing user interfaces that we're already using and invites us to build new user interfaces that are like touch interfaces. Yeah. They're, they're bigger buttons and... Yeah, more clearly defined places where you can look. You don't have to search for things. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think maybe it is like that. That the touch is almost the same, exactly the same. Right. So it might work pretty good at touch interfaces right away, right? Because they are separated and bigger. And mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, probably adopt itself to that. I mean, there's so many different new user interfaces coming along right now. Touch yeah. is obviously all but established and, and commonplace and inexpensive. Uh, but, you know, the Connect has blown open the whole concept of gesture. Yeah. This is another layer yeah. on top of that. I mean, that's a 3D camera as well. Here you you know, tracking something very specific. Yeah. And it's interesting to see what it would add to the equation. It really does. Can you, can you, uh, can you track when somebody blinks their eye? Oh, no, yeah, no problem. We, we have uh, for a disability, uh, we have different kinds of clicking. We were talking about that. Right. And it's blinking is one. Uh, but it's, uh, I mean, it doesn't really fit in nicely with you. Uh, well, I would so. imagine you'd have to discern a blink from a regular blink that I got a blink for my eyes yeah. protection. Yeah. Certainly you'd we have hold the whole concept down. of a right click and a left click. Uh, <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm thinking that you might want to hold your eyes shut for a second or more in order to, in order to and you'd be able to detect that? Uh, oh, yeah. You, you can... You can uh, Why am I suddenly thinking of I Dream of Genie? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> close my yeah, eyes. You have to when fold your arms and wear the MC Hammer pants. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's too much. Well, Henrik, this yep. is great. And uh, tell us real quick where we can learn more about this. Uh, I work at the Toby Technology. So, Toby.com. You can get information. Uh, T O B I I. Dot com. Yeah. Okay. And are you Henrik at 
Toby.com? Henrik.Anderson at Toby.com. Okay. Good uh, enough. Yeah. Uh, it, it'd be super fun if somebody would build a w, uh, .NET application. That, That'd be great. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll let our listeners respond to you, and I hope something good comes out of it. Yeah. And if I think of anything personally, I'll oh, be in touch. For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Henrik. Uh, thank you. Henrik Anderson. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a. Uh...